1: This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by The Strenuous Life. The Strenuous Life is an online platform that we created to help you put into action all the things we've been talking about on the podcast and writing about on the Art of Manliness for the past 10 years. We've done that by creating a series of 50 different badges based around 50 different skills, hard skills like wilderness survival, self-defense, first aid, soft skills like personal finance, public speaking, social skills. We also provide weekly challenges to help you push yourself outside of your comfort zone, as well as accountability for your physical fitness, doing a good deed, thinking outside of yourself. We just had enrollment wrap up a few weeks ago in June. Our next enrollment is in September. If you'd like to be one of the first to know when enrollment opens up, head over to strenuouslife.co, get your email on our waiting list, and we'll send out an email about the first part of September to let you know when enrollment opens up for the Strenuous Life. Strenuouslife.co. Hope to see you there. This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is much more than just another greens product. It's the most complete whole food supplement available with 75 ingredients working together to help with 11 different areas of health. It's been developed over 10 years by doctors and nutritionists. One scoop of Athletic Greens is like having 11 supplements in one. I love it. Best of all, it tastes great. Unlike a lot of other greens products, it doesn't taste like you're licking the floor of a barn. Athletic Greens has a nice sweet taste to it. It's great. Got a special offer for my listeners. You can get 20 free travel packs valued at $99 with your first purchase do this, you have to go to athleticgreens.com slash manliness to claim your special offer today. Again, athleticgreens.com slash manliness for 20 free travel packs valued at $99 with your first purchase. Brett McKay here and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Insults are a part of the human experience. We insult others and we get insulted back. Social media has only amplified our tendency to ridicule one another and increase the likelihood of being on the receiving end of a barb. Yet we don't typically understand the dynamics of insults very well. Why do we throw insults at each other and why do they hurt so much? Is there anything we can do to reduce the mental and the emotional sting of these verbal affronts? Well, my guest today has explored the philosophy of insults in his book, A Slap in the Face, Why Insults Hurt and Why They Shouldn't. His name is is Bill Irvine, and I had him on the podcast about a year ago to discuss his book on stoic philosophy. Today on the show, Bill and I talk insults. We begin our conversation discussing all the ways we can insult one another, from direct insults to passive-aggressive ones. Bill explains why we often resort to backhanded compliments when we're praising people and why you don't have to intend to insult someone to insult them. Our conversation then dovetails in the rise of PC culture and why, how it's made us all more sensitive to small slights and unintentional snubs, and we end our conversation with tactics you can use to be less sensitive to social slights with many of Bill's insights coming from the stoic philosophers. In a day and age, we seem to be in perpetual outrage mode. This podcast provides some fortifying bomb for the soul. After the show's over, check out the show notes at aom.is slash insults. And Bill joins me now via clearcast.io.
0: Bill Irvine, welcome back to the show. It is indeed a pleasure to be here.
1: So we had you on the show a few months ago. To talk about your book about Stoicism, the art of Stoic joy, and uh, we got a lot of positive feedback on that. And but you, you you've written another book a while back ago, right? Shortly after you wrote this book on Stoicism about insults and why they sting so much. It's called "Slap in the Face." I, I'm curious, was this insults book was this an offshoot of your Stoicism book? Like after you wrote the Stoicism book, you you decided to s- explore the topic of insults because of your research in Stoicism.
0: Yeah, I had kind of a curious triple pregnancy going on here. I originally wrote a book called On Desire, Why We Want What We Want, thinking that I would use that book as a way to pursue an interest in Buddhism. And of course, I could also get academic credit toward tenure and promotion by doing that. So it's two for the price of one. And in the process of doing the research on Buddhism, I decided I needed to explore other philosophies of life. One of them was Stoicism, and after looking into Stoicism, I decided it, uh, I was much better suited to become a Stoic than to become a Buddhist. So then, a uh, follow-up was, I also decided to write a book on the Stoics. And in the process of doing that, discovered that they had extensive, they had given extensive thought to insults, to the role insults play in society, and to how to prevent insults from disrupting our tranquility from upsetting us. So I decided once I finished the stoic book that I would do a book on on insults and this is that book. So it's kind of a follow on to the the uh, stoic book that I wrote.
1: Yeah, I think that's interesting you went from Buddhism to stoicism or tip from desire to Buddhism to stoicism to insults. Yeah. It's funny how how where things can take you if you if you just follow those those paths. Yeah.
0: It's an adventure. It's a kind of an intellectual adventure and you just find out where the road is leading and you follow it along and surprising things can happen as a result.
1: Well, so you start off the book discussing the different types of insults that are out there because there's, and I I think we all know them intuitively, but when you made it explicit in the book, I was like, boy, there are different ways you can, there's a whole host of ways you can insult people. So you start talking about sort of direct insults. What are some examples of direct insults that we see on a day-to-day
0: basis? A direct insult, you can walk up to somebody and simply say something abusive to them. You can say it's an ugly haircut. You can say they're an ugly person. You can say they're ignorant. Those are verbal insults and there's uh, not, not a lot to say for them, but they're one step better than physical insults. You can walk up to somebody and punch them in the face. Now, of course, you know, that's also a form of violence, whereas the other is just verbal abuse. And then the interesting thing is that's what you think of when you, when you think about insults. But when you get deeper into the whole insult process, you realize how much human brain power can go into an insult, how clever and subtle they can be. And it turns out to be its own little genre, you know, the, the whole set of insults that are possible.
1: Right. So besides, besides sort of direct, proactive action, either verbally or through actions insulting. You talk about how you can insult people just by not doing anything at all or not saying anything
0: at all. Suppose you walk up to me. Suppose I have some dispute with you in the past and as a result have formed a a bad opinion of you and you walk up to me and hold your hand out. I can refuse to extend my hand to shake your hand. That's a big insult. Even worse, I can turn my back to you and walk off. So those uh, haven't said a word, haven't touched you, but that can be a, a, a truly cutting insult depending on the nature of our relationship beforehand.
1: Right, or shunning is another example of that or sort of an offshoot of that where you just totally ostracize. Yep,
0: so I can go on an extended period when I simply refuse to respond to anything you say. You know, And in some religious groups, uh, shunning is uh, a way of punishment. And so if you want to communicate with the person who's shunning you, you have to find a third party to act as intermediary there between you and the person who's shunning you. And it's brutal. I've read accounts of, of being shunned and it's it's absolutely brutal.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it could be worse than sort of the direct insult because with the least, with the direct insult, the, the person's acknowledging that you exist um, when you're shunned, like you just, you cease to exist in a, in a weird way.
0: Yes, you you are written out of that, that person's social life, it's it's like you say, it's as if you don't even exist. And what could be more painful than that?
1: Yeah. And and then you talk about, you know, say we oftentimes the way we we insult is not directly to the person, like one-on-one. I mean, that does happen. You know, we call them a bad name, uh, flip them the bird do something else like that, or we shun them or don't give them the silent treatment. But oftentimes you talk about in the book, the way people go about insulting others is through third parties or indirectly. So w- we let's dig into that. What are the sort of the indirect ways that we insult people?
0: Well, you can say bad things about somebody to someone else, uh, and you can do that with two different kinds of plans in mind. I mean, all of this becomes very cunning and very strategic. But one thing you could you could do is uh, uh, do the insult to a third party an outside party on the assumption that that party is going to report the insult to the person you're trying to to insult, which is is bad you aren't there when the insult happens but it's uh, it's a bad thing but the other thing you can do is is Spread this campaign of a a poisonous kind of campaign behind the person's back where you're going around saying mean things and uh, insulting things to everyone else. And then you, the person who's the target of this attack, kind of uh, grow uh, aware of it in a subtle way. It's just that everybody seems to be treating you differently. And that can also have disastrous consequences.
1: And this is called
0: backbiting,
1: right? Where you talk behind people's yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, And besides these indirect approaches, you also highlight other subtle ways we insult people, even just to their face, without them even knowing. So example, like backhanded compliments are yeah.
0: an example of that. Yeah. So I could tell you that, uh, you know, you're the best player on our team. And that sounds like a compliment, but if you think you're the best player at a certain position in the entire league, that can count as an insult. It's a curious thing about insults. They're, they're in the mind of the beholder. And you can play against whatever self-image somebody has And uh, in order to insult them, where what you're saying isn't directly insulting. And to, a thir- to an outsider, it sounds like you're complimenting them. But to those people themselves, it comes across as an insult that's you're not acknowledging their their self image
1: right and you, we often see this too with like comparisons right you can say, if say you say oh you're you did better than been better than jimmy in class but like jimmy's not particularly bright well okay that's that's not much Jim, of a Jim,
0: jimmy's the worst one in <laughs> no it's it's like you know damning with faint praise and the thing is we're programmed by our evolution to care very much about our social standing. So we go through life calling, uh, playing what I call the uh, social hierarchy game. And uh, one of the ways we play it, and we can play it with, you know, if, if you look at at animal groups, there'll be actual fights that break out in order to determine who's where on, on a social hierarchy. But we humans have evolved beyond that. So we do it with words, with insults, with these subtle interplays of uh, be between the you know individuals and the conversation they have,
1: my favorite subtle insult that you you highlight in the book is the ambush insult because it just made me laugh. It's like the ambush insult is when you 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 start off with something that sounds like praise, but then you go right to just like the, being being as insulting as possible. And I think you gave an example of Groucho Marx,
0: yeah, Groucho, you know, sort of a master at,
1: of the ambush insult.
0: Yeah, he he had a friend who had written a book that was supposed to be you know, have a humorous element, but other elements as well. And so when Groucho wrote him back a response saying, so when I picked up, picked up your book, I laughed so hard I couldn't believe it. And then I put it down, which sounds like a compliment, but then followed by the remark that someday I plan to actually read it. <laughs> so, which is a great insult and 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 very clever. And that's the interesting thing. So with with one of these setup insults, you're kind of trying to increase the amount of of harm you inflict by first making them think it's praise, because then they're, they have this sense of heightened expectation for what comes next. And then you lower the boom with the insult.
1: Right. And Winston Churchill was a master of this as well.
0: Yeah. So lots of examples of that. So he had, I, I mean, I'm not thinking of any off the top of my head, but but he was very good at his insults ah the lady uh, lady what nancy astor said to him winston churchill if you were my husband i would put poison in your coffee and he replied to her and nancy if you were my wife i would drink it <laughs> so that's a classic <laughs> a classic Chin- uh, churchill line
1: right so there 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 is sort of a, a sense of gainmanship with the insult i mean like the, the more clever and subtle your insult can be I don't know it seems like it's more insulting that way than compared to just call them a jerk or whatever.
0: Yeah, and and you want to do it with style and you know where this comes across most vividly is when it's uh, typically involving men who imagine themselves to be to be highly intelligent or highly articulate. Women have a different kind of form that their insulting can take. But with men, it's often uh, simply this, this kind of male showing of your, your power, showing that you're uh, high up in the, in the hierarchy. And you know, it descends also in athletic contests of various kinds. It, it, it's no longer there. It's, it's not the high-flown uh, intellectual kinds of insults, but it's the coarsest insults you can imagine that the players, even on their own team, will hurl at each other some kind of curious male bonding thing. And then you reply with an equally crude insult back. And for some reason, that cements the group together. You you wouldn't think that. But I have, uh, I'm a a competitive rower. And so I have uh, teammates and, uh, you know, people I, I play with and compete with. And it's really remarkable the extent to which our conversation consists in Put downs and responses to put downs, and it's a lot of fun. And you know, I try to explain it to my wife, and she, she, you know, always is just a little bit puzzled. Of well, why would that be fun? But it is, and I'm not sure I can fully explain it.
1: Right. So, but yeah, that's a very uniquely male thing. It seems like men use aggressiveness as a way to nurture and to foment bonds between each other. Yeah. But that raises a question. So you talk about teasing, and teasing is uh, it is sort of a social lubricant that we use. Um, we even do it with men between women, right? Like husbands and wives tease each other.
0: It's an important form of in a relationship between a man and a woman. Once you spend a lot of time with another person, they invariably are going to start doing things that you find annoying. I mean, simply because they have a different way of going through their lives, going about their days than you do, and so there are things that you find annoying. And very quickly find that the worst thing you can do in terms of the relationship is to go up in a very factual way. Say, you're doing the following, I find it very annoying, I'm asking you to quit right now. Because it doesn't work out that way. You know, within relationships, there's that same kind of jockeying that goes on you know where where nobody wants to be taken advantage of or looked down on by the other party to the relationship so in the case of a husband and wife you you, you turn it into a kind of a tease into a kind of joke what you regard as their shortcoming and that puts a comic spin on the suggestion you're trying to make to them and so then it has a greater chance of it uh, getting through i mean suppose um you think that your wife has just been uh, running up uh, a huge bill at some store and and you're worried about that. And uh, when, one way you can do it is say you can't spend any more money. Probably not the best strategy. But a second way is, well, uh, are you sure you're going to not melt that credit card? And there's all sorts of, of cute, funny kind of ways of, uh, of putting it where they'll get the message but they won't feel directly attacked by it. My wife does precisely the same thing back at me about the things she wants me to change. So it's a a nice way to make a suggestion.
1: But there's some people who would hear that sort of humor suggestion, but get really offended by it. And so, I mean, that's the funny, teasing, uh, there's like a fine line with teasing where, okay, it's fun and playful and everyone's in on it, but then at some point it crosses To like, this is no longer teasing, this is actually vindictive and and mean.
0: Yeah, it's a fine line, and that's only one of many fine lines, uh, because insults can turn into bullying, too. So you have that whole spectrum that starts with a, a gentle tease and ends with outright bullying. And it's a function of the intention of the person doing it. But uh, the downside is, you can say something with the best intentions in the world, and if you're dealing with a particularly sensitive person, they can re- react in a in a really extreme manner. So you kind of learn. Well, you, you you know, you might have relatives, for instance, and you know there are some people that when you're around them, you know, the saying is you walk on on eggshells. That is, you're very careful. You know, they have many sensitive topics and you don't want to set them off on that so they'll they'll interpret all sorts of things as insults so what you need to do is say very little and be very guarded in what you do say and even then you can end up triggering some kind of response and then the best uh, way to deal with that is simply to humbly apologize and and retrench even more and and it's unfortunate for people who are who are that way you know it's evidence of of a fragile kind of ego, and by being that way, you open yourself up to a world of hurt that could easily be avoided if only, if only you started thinking in terms of, you know, a lot of the people, uh, things people say that I, I find offensive, they don't really mean to insult me, and you know what, even if they did, consider the source. So one of the interesting things among the Stoics that I found was, you know, their own approach. to to insults and how to deal with them and one of their brilliant maneuvers was when somebody insults you, you simply ignore it. You simply carry on as if they hadn't said anything which turns out to be a really effective way to deal with insults because the person who insulted you will at first think, gee, maybe he didn't hear me and they'll repeat the insult at which point you can say, no, I heard you and then you just carry on talking. Because here it was, they hit you with your best shot and they didn't even phase you. So, but it takes a certain amount of self-esteem for you to do that, for you to just say, you know what, I'm not going to let this insult phase me. I know there's uh, no, it's not a substantial kind of factual claim they're making. So I'm just going to pretend like something didn't, that nothing happened.
1: All right. So yeah, again, this reiterates the point that insults, are in the eye of the receiver, right? Like they're in, the receiver of the insult is what determines whether something's an insult or not. Someone can intend something to be an insult or not intend to be something an insult. And it can either, as long as the person takes it as an insult, then it's an insult.
0: Yeah, I mean, we can argue the, the semantics of it. But for me, you've insulted someone if someone feels insulted by something you've said or or done. And and, and it's sort of a social uh, thing. That gives other people a lot of power Though, and you know, we've kind of emerged into a stage here of our own culture where people are rewarded in a curious fashion for being hypersensitive to what other people say, and so we have the whole PC movement, and we have trigger warnings, and we have variety of things along those lines. And suddenly, if you're a very sensitive person, you have been given the green light to silence a conversation in a large group. Because you might say, "Well, uh, you know, what you're saying is upsetting me." Oops. Well, then we got to stop. And that's that's one way to deal with that. That there are other ways as well. You know. Well, one way is well. Uh, guess what? Become less sensitive. Some people will find that hard to do, of course, but others could if they wanted to. But they found their source of power, and they're sticking with it.
1: Yeah, that was an interesting chapter that you go into the book, sort of talking about the the rise of the pc culture the pc code and then what we had before which was a code of etiquette or a code of politeness right and it, from what i gathered the code of politeness was sort of it, it's it was this informal code that we no one really sat down to agree upon but it was an informal code that we agreed to that these certain things are insulting generally for anybody, no matter who you are. What happened with the PC thing is that now what is determined as offensive and insulting is determined by each individual.
0: Right. So each individual now can have uh, you know, a, a, a sub list. You know, the, the, when your parents teach you manners as a kid, what they're really teaching you is how not to insult somebody because your parents know what it takes to insult somebody and then they know how to avoid doing that. So always say please, always say thank you. So there was this broad kind of cultural thing that said, well, if you do the following, if you do the follow, if you behave in the following way, you know, no one can hold it against you. You're fine. There will be some, some very sensitive people. Just be very careful when you're in, in, in their presence or don't say a lot. But insult, but the, the whole notion, the PC movement tried to sensitize people. To what other people were saying and so an unintended uh, side effect was uh, it, it made it much easier for some people to feel insulted to take very personally something that you said so it's an unfortunate side effect because uh, some people are miserable because of it you know what if somebody calls you a, a racial hurls a racial epithet at you the person's an idiot and the best way to respond is to realize this is an idiot. This is the human equivalent of a dog barking at me. And if a dog barks at me, I don't take it as, as deeply cutting. I don't take it as an attack on my very existence. But, but people were, were, were led to view it in those ways. And so I'm, I'm suspecting that in, in many lives there are people who have been uh, made miserable by it. Yeah, you know, but the intent was just the opposite. The intent was to create a world in which none of this stuff went on, and that would be a wonderful world to live in. It isn't clear we can get there in this manner. And when you, when you study the, the PC movement and, and the kind of language, you also can sense in some way the futility of trying to outlaw insults. So for instance, at one time, people who had physical handicaps were referred to as crippled individuals. And then it was realized, no, that's an insult, so we can't call them that, so we need to call them handicapped individuals. And then there were people who took offense even to that, so we had to call them disabled individuals. And then there were people who said, no, no, that's also an insult. So we finally, at least for the time being, seemed to have arrived at differently abled individuals. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with that. You know, it's not about the, the language. It's just the thing is that if you're dealing with a hypersensitive individual, then whatever you call them, there's a good chance that they're, that they're going to take some kind of, of offense. Same thing happened with respect to race. So there was a time when blacks were referred to as colored people. That started being viewed as an insult. So that was changed to being called blacks, which was considered an insult. So the name was changed to Afro-Americans. And then people commented that Afro was a style of haircut, not a race. So it became African-Americans. And the last I heard that had been supplanted in many uh, areas of life by the phrase person of color. So it kind of gives you a uh, feeling for the futility of it, we start with colored people. And after a 100 years, in, in our effort to flee from possible insults, we've come around to persons of color. So that doesn't seem like a, a lot of progress uh, to me. And again, bottom line, a racist is probably ignorant and probably crude. And best way to respond is simply to ignore. Now the people on the other side of the debate will say, well, you know what, if you ignore them, then, then they're going to spread because, because they're being ignored. I suspect it's just the opposite, that one of the things they're out for is attention, and they're out for shock value. And if we, we have it in our power to remove that from them, in which case they might uh, start changing their minds about various things.
1: We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. All right, buying a dress shirt can be a huge hassle. First, you got to find out what your neck size is. You got to hunt down a sales associate and measure your neck. Then you go and you find your shirt. The collar fits you right, but then the shirt's just too billowy or something's off of the sleeves. So you go up a size and everything's perfect on the, the shirt, but now your collar doesn't fit. The solution to this is get a made-to-measure shirt. And you're probably thinking, Brett, that's going to cost an arm and a leg and even more of a hassle, not so with Proper Cloth. At propercloth.com, you can easily create a custom shirt size in seconds by answering 10 simple questions, no tape measure required. From there, you can customize your shirt however you want. You have 20 collar styles to choose from, 10 cuff styles, and 500 fabric styles from classic to business. The team at Proper Cloth works with the best fabric producers from around the world and only buy fabrics that meet their high quality expectations. Best of all, Proper Cloth guarantees a perfect fit, meaning that if somehow your shirt doesn't fit perfectly, they will remake it for free. I did this with a white Oxford button down, answered the 10 questions, got the shirt, and it fit me like a glove. And you're probably thinking, bro, this can cost $100. Shirts start at just $80. Custom and made to measure for you. So, if you already try this, got an offer for you. Go to propercloth.com slash manliness today and enter gift code manliness to save $20 off your first shirt. Again, propercloth.com slash manliness, gift code manliness to save $20 off your first shirt also by The Great Courses Plus. The key to getting ahead personally and professionally is knowledge. That's why I love The Great Courses Plus. With The Great Courses Plus you have unlimited access to over 9,000 lectures that you can watch or listen to. And These lectures are taught by the world's best professors and experts in their field. They've got lectures on pretty much any topic you can imagine. History, philosophy, art, how to write better, how to take better pictures, business, self-improvement, you name it, they've got it. One course I've been listening to is called Outsmart Yourself, Brain-Based Strategies to a Better You. Just all these things using behavioral science to improve yourself. So one example is one way to beat procrastination is just do nothing for 20 minutes. A lot more there. So again, outsmart yourself, brain based strategies to better you. And if you want to try, listen to this lecture, this course, I got a special offer for you. For a limited time only, they're giving my listeners a special free month of unlimited access to all their lectures, but you need to sign up through my special URL. So to get your free month trial today, go to the Great Courses Plus. .com/manliness. Again, that's thegreatcoursesplus.com/manliness for a free 1-month trial. Sign up today. And now back to the show. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting point. So, you talk about how this PC culture in America, we have a very robust sense of the first amendment. So, laws to, you know, make certain words, language illegal haven't haven't passed, but it's been happening in Canada. But then you talk about one case where they wanted to pass some law, where they wanted to make illegal hateful speech, whatever that means. But they got shot down by the Supreme Court, and in the case, the the judge or the justice wrote about pre-Nazi Germany as an example of when there's laws in place that prohibit hateful speech, quote-unquote – the, the Nazis, the Nazi party, before they came to power, used those laws to their advantage by drumming up attention to their cause and their party at the trials. One of these you know, guys who were saying anti-Semitic things and doing anti-Semitic actions were put on trial for violating these laws, and it actually helped ferment and increase their, their following.
0: Yeah, and hate speech has become a a big topic of discussion. In Canada, hate speech is outlawed. In the United States, it's been tested, gone all the way to the Supreme Court, and it is allowed. I I am a vigorous in my defense of free speech, and that includes, that includes hate speech. So, and, and, you know, I don't regard myself as a hateful person. But free speech is, is extremely important because once we start cutting corners, then things can, can go astray. And I also think that this concern with hate speech, we're dealing with symptoms instead of the underlying cause. The underlying cause here is you have people who are sensitive to insults, whose feelings are easily hurt. And then my counter-suggestion is, well, let's help those people. Let's help them develop a you know a healthy sense of self and a, and a healthy a self identity so that these we we can make the pain go away that way. It's a different approach of a kind of more subtle, kind of more roundabout, but I think a, a given a choice between um, censorship of various kinds, that approach that that approach is is better and you know it would affect not only how they respond to political speech but it would also affect how they respond to the kinds of things that happen in just regular relationships.
1: Yeah. There was a, a great phrase that I remember reading in law school. When we were discussing the tort of intentional affliction of emotional distress, which is this tort this, you can sue somebody for this. If you, if someone in, intentionally caused you emotional harm. And so the question is like, okay, what is, what's a reasonable emotional harm, you know, for a reasonable person And this jurist said that, you know, basically said it has to be pretty, pretty high, like really, really, the bar has to be really, really high because in the course of just interacting with people, rubbing shoulders with people, you're going to, people are going to say rude, offensive things. It's just part of life. We have to accept that. And that to counter that, we just need to, there needs to be a a certain toughening of the mental hide. Uh, which I thought was a great phrase. I've used that a lot. So in order to, for civil society to function, and so we're not caught up in the courts all the time, we need to toughen our mental hides a bit.
0: Yeah, and in, in the PC movement, you had a kind of a race to the bottom of who can be most sensitive, right? And so then we had these things called microaggressions that emerged. So for instance, if you're in a, a group of men and women, and you say, hey guys, let's go to a bar, you have just committed a microaggression because there's a chance that one of the women there will think she's excluded because she's not a guy, in one sense of the word, guy. So somebody's feelings will be hurt. And this isn't the direct intention of PC language, but it's a it's a consequence. It actually increases the amount of sensitivity and therefore uh, has, has the potential to increase the amount of emotional suffering that people experience. So... If you're fighting emotional uh, suffering, it's it's just a, a, a bad way to go. What's a better way to go? Teach people how to take insults and uh, s- simply assess the uh, source of the insult and then respond accordingly. So there are people that when they say something insulting to me, I know it's part of a friendship, you know. And if I spent ten minutes with them and they didn't insult me, I would say, "Gee, what's wrong? Is, is something going going wrong in your in your life?" There are other cases, there are people who insult me simply because they don't like me for whatever reason. I can live with that. There are people who, when they make a remark critical of me, I listen very carefully, because I've given those individuals what I call mentor status. I regard them as mentors. Now, if I pick somebody out as a mentor, I don't necessarily inform them of such, but these are people who have just figured out some aspect of life. And I can learn a lot just by listening to them. So if a person has, for me, mentor status and they make a critical remark of it, I don't fight back. I take careful notes. I give it a lot of thought. You know, But if I were a, a hypersensitive person, that would be ruled out. Somebody who said, uh, you know, you're doing the following thing wrong, it would be like, oh, boo-hoo-hoo, uh, why don't you like me? Another thing that's come along to increase our sensitivity is we've had certainly uh, in, uh, in grade schools, it's sort of starting to spill over into colleges, but this whole notion of uh, praising everybody for almost nothing. We have competitions in which everyone gets an award. We have uh, everyone ending up the high school valedictorian. And if you're raised in that kind of environment and go out in the real world, where there are going to be people who are critical or people who are going to insult us, it stings so much worse if you've never had an insult. So it's uh, it, it's counterproductive in that sense.
1: Right. Yeah. The whole self-esteem movement we're basically created very fragile fragile psyches and in, in kids. Right. So we know the Stoic approach, which is just just not care. Uh, here's an interesting thing I thought was you you highlight in the book with insults is that praise, praising someone when done a certain way can actually be insulting. So how can praise be insulting?
0: Yeah, you can praise something for something they don't don't think is particularly praiseworthy or praise them in a way that they think there's even more better praise coming. So you know if I say if a woman that's wearing a a dress of a certain kind and I say to her, you know that that I actually I would never do this to a woman, so it's a bad example. But if you say, "Boy, that that makes you look thinner," right? Oops, it was intended as praise. Uh, but then it also comes out as a revealing that apparently I think this is a person in in need of looking thinner. Otherwise, I wouldn't be praising it. Meaning by inference that this person is overweight. So what I intend is praise can come out at the other end as an interesting kind of insult.
1: Yeah, it's kind of the backhanded compliment. But, but you also yeah. Yeah. highlight you can you can give praise sarcastically and make someone feel really yeah. bad and make feel something. Because I remember that, you know, like, oh, you're such a genius. And I was like, oh, no, that's, that's an insult.
0: Yeah. So somebody does something really crazy, really awkward, really uh, – Take just something really awkward, and you can say, you know, nice move, Nijinsky, right? Meaning just the opposite. And what you said was literally a praise, except that it's going to be taken as an insult, and, and you fully realize that at the time you do it. You know, on the whole praise thing, the Stoics were nicely consistent. So the Stoics said, when somebody insults us, we should uh, s- simply turn a blind eye, uh, ignore them, they also had, and we, we go into this in more, more detail here in a second, but they also talked about a great way to respond to an insult was by insulting yourself even worse than the insulter just insulted you. But switching over, they were consistent because they said not only should we not put a whole lot of value on the insults that people direct our way, the, we should not put much value on the praise they do either. So, uh, and again, you know, I would, in my own mind, I've got two classes of people. I've got ordinary people, and I've given a mentor status to some people. And somebody in the last category, in the mentor category, when they praise me, that makes my day. That's a wonderful thing, because that means this person who I've decided has a lot of insights and a lot to teach me thinks I'm doing something right. But there are a whole bunch of other people who praise you. And there can be all sorts of motives for the praise, and the praise can be more or less meaningful. And so, besides becoming an insult pacifist, I've done my best to become a praise pacifist. So, if somebody praises me, typically what I'll do is I'll say, Oh, thanks, and then carry on as if nothing had happened. Because I found out the hard way if somebody praises you and you say nothing, that that's taken as an insult that that's your way of indicating to them that you feel that you're uh, above their praise somehow so you respond to it as simply as you can and then carry on as if nothing had happened because the problem is praise is such an incentive you get such a good feeling on hearing praise that it can have a dramatic impact on your on your behavior I was just reading an article today that a friend sent me of a woman who had come to realize how much on her Facebook page, and she was writing things and posting things, and she had become a thumbs-up addict, where what she sought was to say things that would get her a lot of thumbs-up, and then realized that, that it was even changing the way she thought about things, simply the effort to gain that praise. Sometimes in life, the things you do that have the most impact, the most meaning, can have the greatest impact on the world, are things that people aren't going to want you to do. If you get their praise, you blew it. If they aren't happy with what you said, but it brings about an interesting change, you've, you've done your work. Uh, so praise and the quality of what you've done do not necessarily go hand in hand.
1: You raised an interesting point there that with praise, that's another way you can insult people is by denying their praise and just ignoring it. So accept it with graciously, but don't make a big deal about it. Right. Okay. So let's get into ways to, we can respond to insults. You you mentioned one way, the stoic way, which is simply to ignore it. Another tactic you just mentioned briefly was another stoic example was actually take the insult and insult yourself more. I guess this is using self-deprecating humor.
0: Yeah, self-deprecating humor. Number one, it's it's great fun once you get into it. And number two, they just don't see it coming because they've spent their life, you know, when when they've insulted someone, unless it's uh, just a friendly uh, insult, when they've insulted someone that it's supposed to cause pain, a certain degree of, of pain. But when you engage in response to an insult, well, let me give you an example. So suppose someone uh, comes up to me and describes some characteristic of mine and, uh, and makes it clear that, that they um, disapprove of that characteristic. One self-deprecating remark is, yeah, yeah, I know I got to work on that. But to tell the truth That would be number three on the list of bad characteristics I have to overcome on my own personal list. So what just happened? There's a good chance that they thought they were hitting you with their best shot. And what did you do in response? You punched yourself even harder than they did. So it is, from the insulter's point of view, it's an utterly demoralizing thing to have happen. And, you know, from the Stoic point of view... It, it actually is in some way a sincere response. If you're a Stoic, there's this ongoing project to try to turn yourself into a better version of you. And it's difficult to do and there's lots of backsliding. And, and then so you're very much aware of your own shortcomings. So, you know, sometimes if, if somebody has mentor status and they tell you you've got a shortcoming, you take notes. But a lot of times it's just, it's, it's people, you know, and uh, these whole social interactions are incredibly complicated things. And when I look at myself, sometimes I catch myself, I try not to do it, catch myself insulting other people, usually in subtle ways. And then sometimes I'll think about it. Why did I do that? And oftentimes it's envy that triggered the insult. You know, it's a feeling that, gosh... That person seems to be succeeding in ways I'm not. Gosh, I don't like that. And then before you know it, out has come an insult. And um, and that's pretty sad. Now, I don't know if other people have that same motivation. I suspect they do, but I can't read uh, their minds. So it's just bad business. And if you can insult yourself more than someone else has insulted you, like I say, give it a try because it's great fun. It's not as easy as what I described as insult pacifism. That's where you do nothing in response to an insult. Someone lying there in a coma can do insult pacifism. In fact, they, they don't have any choice in the, in the matter. They're lying there. If you insult them, they're going to say nothing. So one level up from that, particularly if you, if you think of yourself as a clever person, is this, this idea of responding to insults with an even bigger self-insult.
1: But that that again, there's a fine line there because it can backfire where you 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 pile on yourself and then people just pile on you even more and you become a punching bag. I think you give the example of Kierkegaard. This happened to him. He got insulted and then he made sort of a self-deprecating remark and then he became the laughing stock of Denmark.
0: Yeah, you gotta know uh, you gotta know who you're dealing with. There are people who are bullies and they're out to inflict. This kind of pain. If you try these uh, techniques on them, then probably they will fail, and probably you'll pay a, a price for it. So, you think about the person who's who's doing it, and 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 again, if the goal is to to try to modify their behavior in some way, then you think about the clever way to do that. But there are exceptions. To these to these cases. But this is just uh, talking in broad terms about what I've found in my own life seemed to have worked. And of course, I didn't discover this. What I did is simply pay close attention to this aspect of Stoicism, uh, the whole insult response, a bit of advice they had to offer.
1: So uh, Yeah, I thought that was an interesting point, too, you just made about our, our insults being driven by envy. I mean, I think we haven't really talked about why we have this tendency to insult and be insulted. And you go into depths about this, going into evolutionary psychology, how we all have this innate drive for status and social standing, because it, that was essential for our survival. But the Stoics recognized that we had this. They probably didn't have an evolutionary reason that we had this drive. But they recognized the drive, how it can cause unhappiness. And our, our the goal in life was to Overcome those drives using Stoic practices,
0: right? So, and uh, in the last decades of the twentieth century, this whole field of evolutionary psychology arose. You know, it points to things like, you know, what your your ancestors who cared about their social standing, guess what? They got to eat first and they got to mate first. And those who didn't care about that, guess what? They didn't leave any offspring because they starved to death or or failed to reproduce. And what we are is we're the descendants of the ones who cared very much about their social status and so we've acquired the wiring that makes us care very much about our social status i have that wiring too it's a curious thing so i'm aware simultaneously you know i'm i'm trying to kind of uh, find a a way to work around the wiring and at the same time am subject to the wiring. So I mentioned before that I'm a rower. So one of the things uh, that I row in is a, a quad, and that's a, a, a boat uh, with four people in it, and they all each have two oars, and it gets a little bit complicated. But I remember once when I was coming to practice, and I was going to be in the boat, and, and, and it was late getting there. And then when I got there, saw that the boat was full of four people, and they had simply replaced me with another person. And what was striking is I experienced what are called hurt feelings. And the intensity of the hurt, of the hurt was, was mind-boggling to me. It was very real and uh, almost physical in how painful that it was. And then if you analyze it, you know, in a sensible way, well, no, you know, they wanted to go for a row and I wasn't there, so that probably wasn't a permanent replacement, blah, blah, blah. And yet... Despite having studied insults in psychology and evolutionary psychology, I felt the sting of it. So it's a really important characteristic of us. So the Stoics, though, didn't know about evolution, but they were the preeminent psychologists of their time. You know, we think of them as, a philo- as philosophers, and they were. But back then, philosophy was widely construed. Philosophers would normally be doing natural science they would be doing psychology. So just from their own uh, observations, they came across this. They said, okay, we're interested in having lives that are as tranquil as possible. So we're interested in avoiding negative emotions like anger and fear and anxiety. And we're interested in, in welcoming and, and, and having as many positive emotions as we can. And the two I like to pick out as examples of that would be feelings of delight which are absolutely wonderful and they're plentiful if you know where to look for them, and feelings of joy. And notice I didn't say physical pleasure because that that wasn't their goal, but it was uh, other positive feelings. And then they realized, okay, so what does disrupt people's tranquility? And one of the big things is being insulted by other people. And so then they put their analytic powers to work. And the question was, well, how can we avoid that? How can we avoid having those negative emotions that come with being insulted and hit across, I hit upon these really wonderful solutions, you know, the the whole, the, the easy one is the insult pacifism. You just pretend like nothing happened. I tried it, It's it's quite effective, not perfectly effective, but quite effective.
1: So we've been talking about some of the techniques that the Stoics have put in, have developed to manage our own sensitivity to insults and our own sensitivity to praise. I'm curious, do the Stoics have anything to say about helping others? Like, would they have anything to say about not, like, not proactively trying to insult people or should you avoid praising people so they're they're not put in that situation where they have to manage that that status anxiety
0: so Stoics would make a point of not uh, insulting other people but there would be there would be exceptions so it depends on who you're dealing with and what your point is in dealing with them so Seneca the stoic philosopher uh, talks about how you deal with an unruly servant you know that, that that's a special case because that Person probably isn't all that, you know, intellectually involved and isn't quite sure why they're doing what they're doing and hasn't learned any manners. So to be insulting in certain, in certain uh, context is, is acceptable. You know, in life, the interesting thing is when you're dealing with somebody else, what's your goal? What are you trying to have happen? Uh, Stoics believed in being socially useful. So they thought they had a duty. To try to help others, and that didn't necessarily mean help others get what others wanted to get, but to help others get what the Stoics—and uh, you know this is going to sound kind of strange—but what the Stoics thought other people should have. And one of the principal things would be avoidance of these uh, negative emotions. So that if you're a practicing Stoic, as uh, as I happen to be, when you see somebody who's miserable then it's an interesting question. Is there anything I can say or do that can potentially lessen the misery of their life? And so one really easy thing to do is, you know, you tell somebody who's been chewed up by getting insulted, you just say, hey, you know, the guy's an idiot. Why are you paying such attention to an idiot? And that can be very, very effective because it gives them something quick and easy to use. And, you know, deep down they sort of realize, well, yeah. Yeah. So that would be one stoic angle is how can I help other people? And in particular, do I possess psychological techniques that can help other people avoid negative emotions?
1: Well, Bill, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book Slap in the
0: Face? Well, online on Amazon, they have a bunch of interviews. Unfortunately, one thing I found out was that if you write a book On insults, people take you as fair game for insults, for better or worse. (laughs) I've I've got a personal website, williambiervin.com. That's the letter B as in boy. And I've also got another website where I was doing a blog for an extended uh, period, and it it, it has gone dormant, but that's 21stcenturystoic.com. And that's uh, 21st21stcenturystoic, all one word, .com. And so those are two places that they, they can track down some information about me.
1: Fantastic. Well, Bill Irvine, thank you so much for your time.
0: It's been a pleasure. All right. You're very welcome.
1: My guest today was Bill Irvine. He's the author of the book, A Slap in the Face, Why Insults Hurt and Why They Shouldn't. He's also wrote the book, The Art of Stoic Joy. Check it out. They're both on Amazon.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is insults. We can find links to resources. We can delve deeper into this topic. <laughs> Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. If you enjoy the podcast, I'd appreciate it if you take one minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps us out a lot. If you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for your continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly.